Hey, it's Scott Petrak, and welcome back to another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I'm joined again by Dave Chodowski of the WKYC Morning News. Dave, how are you doing? Scott, I'm well. Tired a little bit, not going to lie. Getting up at 2.30 a.m. this week. A lot going on, but you know what? Hey, we're fighters just like Browns fans. We get through it. I, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's been, you know, it's been fun. You have Cleveland in the spotlight with the NFL draft. And then over Channel 3, Al Roker comes to town. Then Lester Holt comes to town. So uh, there's been a lot going on. It's uh, really been cool to see Cleveland shine. Oh, no doubt. I saw you hobnobbing with Al Roker. That was pretty cool. Taking all the sights, <laughs> all the cool pictures. Yeah, it was cool. He's a, he's a wild man. I'll tell you, I got to really be on your toes when you're uh, working with him, but he's the real deal. What you see on TV is what you get in person. So, uh, it, it was pretty neat. Well, that's good to hear. That's good. to How hear. was vacation? How was vacation? Yeah, it was good. Um, got away, went down to South Carolina for you know, five or six days with wife and daughter and daughter's friend. Um, we dodged some, we thought we might get rained out all week, but it wound up only being one day and it wasn't even too bad. I was able to play golf three times and only missed one day of rookie minicamp. I was going to feel guilty, but we had a plan and I wasn't even sure there was going to be a rookie minicamp, but the Browns only had one practice available to media, only one day of interviews. So I don't feel bad about that. And I actually have talked to a bunch of the draft picks, college coaches. So I, uh, you know, I feel got a little bit of handle of that. I wrote about Greg Newsom the second I wrote about, um, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa earlier this week talked to his DC at Notre Dame, who's now the head coach at Vanderbilt. So maybe we get into that a little bit, just what he had to say about JOK. Um, but it was good to get away. You know, it had, it had been more than a year, and I'm sure there's a bunch of people who have the same story. Um, but it was nice to get away. So, what is going on with the Browns before we get into rookie camp? What's going yeah. on with them right now? They're in phase two. Is that right? Yeah, well, phase two for the league started Monday. And some team, for some teams, that meant practice. The Browns were always going to be virtual this week. Their OTAs were scheduled to begin next week, right? So I think it's three weeks of OTAs leading into minicamp, which I'm looking at my calendar now is supposed to be June 14th through 16th, I want to say. Or 15 through 17. 15 through 17. Yeah, Tuesday yeah. through Thursday. Um, but, you know, JC Treader, again this week, wrote a column for the NFLPA website, said his teammates are comfortable with what they're doing on their own. Most of the guys aren't going to go. So if there's not going to be a big player presence, I don't think the Browns are going to have practice. So, you know, next week would be OTAs. It feels like it's still going to be virtual meetings, uh, at least next week. And then I don't know if they're going to come to an agreement. Like some teams, the Colts and the Eagles, have, the players have reached an agreement with the teams about getting rid of minicamp, and they just have a limited number of really kind of low-key practices. Or if the Browns will just stay virtual all offseason, if they'll have guys in for walkthroughs for minicamp. It feels up in the air, but – it's definitely not going to be a normal off-season program, and we might not have any Browns practices outside of the rookies, which, you know, they went 11-5 and five last year without any practices either. And that's one of the things that J.C. Treader keeps coming back to, right, is that they were able to have a successful season. The league had, you know, higher points and closer games and fewer penalties. And 
I don't believe all that is necessarily connected to the fact that there was no offseason program, but I understand his argument. And, you know, we might have touched upon this at some point, Dave, but I asked JC, it's kind of either right at the end of the year or right after the season. And, you know, I said to him, you guys are always working out anyway, right? So what's the difference if you work out on your own or you work out with the team? And his point was, if I have to come back and start working out April 17th or whatever day you want to say is the start of the offseason program, then that means I have to start getting in shape six weeks before that or whatever it is, because I can't show up out of shape for my coaches. And he feels like that puts too much pressure on the players to not rest enough in the offseason. And I'm sure JC's working out. We see all the pictures and videos of Miles Garrett working out and Jarvis Landry, but it's on their own schedule, which is much different than a team mandated show up and be in good shape, number one. And then the second half of that is he's adamant that the offseason practices, while voluntary, have gotten to the point where coaches and organizations expect players to be there. And I was it's just going to say that. Right? It's voluntary wink, wink, right? Right. I mean, remember what a big deal we made in why we, I mean, the kind of collective media and maybe the fan base as well, when Odell wasn't at a lot of the offseason practices. Now, yes. it was his first season, so you thought, okay, he needs to get acclimated. But the fact is Odell is, you know, like a global icon. He's got stuff to do. And I understand why fans turn their nose up and they're making all this money, but it is voluntary. And it had gotten to a point where I think players were looked at negatively if they didn't attend a good portion of the offseason program. That's one of JC's arguments. And then another is the practice had gotten too intense and too physical. And he talks about getting bull rush. Forget the fact that they're not in pads. He was still getting bull rushed by nose tackles. And he just doesn't think that's a good idea for April and May in June. And for me, it's hard to argue with him because he knows his body better than I do. And if he's saying that and that the practices were too intense, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Now, maybe there's a happy medium where you get the players in town for whatever it is, two or three weeks, you have walkthroughs, you do seven on sevens. Um, and it's not, and you can still do, like you can still get work accomplished, but it's not the full on 11 on 11 practices. And maybe that's kind of the happy medium where players feel respected. They feel like their bodies aren't being put in jeopardy, but the coaches still get guys on the field for however many practices it is. Scott, the mandatory mini camp, June 15 to 17. Is that something they're trying to get away from as well? The players, they don't want to do that. They want that to be virtual or non-existent and just show up uh, at training camp. Can you explain that? Yeah, I think that's exactly what they want, Dave. Now, the problem is the mandatory mini camp is, has been collectively bargained, just like the voluntary practices, right? The voluntary offseason program was collectively bargained. and J.C. Treader will tell you that the league tried to make it mandatory off-season program, and the players fought them, and I think that was 2011. So, but they weren't able to, whether or not how hard they fought, I don't know, but there's still mandatory minicamp, and you can be fined for not showing up. But I think the players say, well, what's, what good is it to show up for three days, right? Like, if everything else is virtual or 
we're going to boycott tonight, the right, not the right word, but if we're not going to show up, we're going to use our right not to show up. What's the point of three practices, right? Um, why don't we just wait until training camp? So I do think that's kind of a bargaining point. I don't think it's going to be changed this year. The question then becomes, does Kevin Stefanski in the Browns organization make the guy show up for those three days if they've skipped the rest of them? And I think we're going to have to see how that plays out. So that leads me into this next question. Every article I read about this and trying to understand it, because it can be a little confusing. Sure. Uh, so my question is, do you think there's going to be any issues between coaches and players? And do you think, do you think some players will get upset if other players do go to voluntary stuff? Yeah. Do you think there'll be any issues there? Do you think everything at the end of the day, it will all just, you know, smooth over? Well, I think, I think there's a potential for animosity on a number of fronts in the ones you mentioned, player to player, coach to player. I don't think it's a huge deal. And I do think the Browns decision makers, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry are really cognizant of this. And they know that JC Treader is respected among the team and among the league. I think they're treading lightly because of his role as president of the NFLPA. Um, you know, but I've been on these Zoom calls with uh, JC and Demore Smith, you know, NFLPA executive director, and they're trying to walk a line here because there's players with significant money that can be earned in off-season workout bonuses, and they're telling those players go ahead and show up, right? Like if you're going to lose five hundred grand, we're not taking a stand on that, right? We're going to show up and make five hundred and make your money, but they want the overall sentiment to be don't feel like you have to go and let's let's prove a point let's make a stand let's show our power as a collective unit so I, I think players like JC and other veterans would understand if an undrafted rookie wanted to show up right if the Browns decided to practice with a skeleton crew I think they would understand that but they wouldn't love it and I think coaches are just going to have to learn to understand it. And, you know, an overarching thing is how much real work do you get done in April and May? As long as you're learning in the classroom, do you need the field? And coaches would argue yes. And I would agree to them to some point, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. So all coaches want their guys on the field as much as possible. But talking to the Browns coaches a year ago, when this subject came up, the, the, almost the first thing out of every coach's mouth was, we respect JC. So I, I think inside the Browns organization, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it better be okay. We do not need anything messing up our Super Bowl season. Yeah, right. Yeah. Super Bowl I, I season. Mean, <laughs> hey, I cannot wait for you to tell your story. Uh, you were telling me you have a great story about the passion of the Browns fans when you're on vacation. But we're going to hold off on that. We're going to uh, have all the listeners wait for that. I have one more comment about the subject we're talking about for getting into yep. rookie camp. The, the Broncos, right. Didn't they release a player that well, got hurt practicing on his own and, and didn't the NFL send a memo to team saying you, you don't have to pay if players get injured away. Yeah. And, and that's a huge issue. And yeah, it was one of their offensive linemen and he had opted out a year ago. So then his, I think it's like a $10 million contract um, carried over to this year, but 
the way the NFL contracts are written, if you're not working out inside the team facility or at, you know, at the team facility for practice or even monitored weight training, they can label it a non-football injury. And when that happens, they can void your contract, right? So, so that's what the Broncos chose to do. And it's left a really bad taste in the union's mouth, in the player's mouth. And I'm sure the union will file lawsuits because the argument is, and JC has made this argument and I've heard other people from the union say it, the off season is 29 weeks and the off season program is nine weeks. So players work out the other 20 weeks, right? I mean, give or take, you take a week off for vacation. They're working out, they're playing basketball, Baker's throwing, right? I mean, We've seen it all on social media. It's not like the players only work out for those nine weeks. So if you're going to have that rule and choose to enforce it, you're really shooting yourself in the foot as an organization because you need your guys to show up in, in shape. And the only That's way they can be point. right. And the only way they can be in shape is if they've worked out all off season or, or a vast majority of the off season. So I, I think Smart organizations will be really careful if that happened, if that happened, right? Like, I mean, if Miles Garrett, you know, I'm a Browns fan can knock on wood, I just watched video of him playing basketball yesterday. If he comes down and turns an ankle, right, or, you know, something worse, whatever, where he's going to miss time, the Browns might be in a position where they could void years off his contract or whatever, you know, the case would be in a given contract. Now, I don't think they would ever do that with Miles Garrett because, you know, he's arguably their best player, right? He's signed to a huge contract. But I think it would just send a bad message if it happened to any player, right? If, if it was really truly a working out to stay in shape for football injury and not a, you know, driving a motorcycle, you know, Kellen Winslow the second or skiing or, you know, you think it's something kind of off the beaten path. If it's really a training, lifting weights, running, catching passes, if you're Jarvis Landry, then I just think it's a terrible precedent for teams to try to penalize guys for that. My gosh, Scott, go grab some of that uh, overpriced lumber you just bought. Knock on wood with all these injuries you're talking about. <laughs> you know, the lumber prices are up right now. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's if you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's not good. Home improvement right now. Buying. uh houses and things like that oh my goodness but well, you can uh, tell how a- handy you can tell how handy i am dave <laughs> well yeah, yeah. In, working on a fence right now but anyway oh, there you go <laughs> but uh yeah knock on wood for these uh uh injury injury talk but uh yeah no that you make some really great points there and it's definitely a situation that uh will evolve and, and we'll keep following Let's move on to rookie camp now because, you know, we actually had the rookies on the field a little bit to talk about and not a lot of action. I think they're just individual drills and some walkthrough, right? Well, yeah. I mean, they only had 18 guys. So, you know, you can't even go 11 on 11, even if they wanted to. Um, And a lot of that is still a ramification from COVID that I don't think the league wanted teams bringing in 50 rookies you know, 40 or 38 of whom wouldn't be around in a week because, you know, I'm sure you've been out in rookie minicamp, Dave. It's the eight guys you drafted. It's the, you know, usually you sign 
you know, I don't know, five or 10 undrafted guys, depending on the number. I think the Browns signed five this year or four and then Malik McDowell. And then it's a bunch of tryout guys. Well, I, I think the league just didn't want a bunch of tryout guys coming in. We're still, you know, getting through the pandemic. So it wound up only being 18 players. And, you know, that meant a lot of individual attention for everybody, really, but especially the top draft picks. But it limited what the Browns could do. You know, I'm not even sure they did any seven on and seven. It was a lot of individual, you know, maybe your defense lines up and, okay, this is where JOK is going to fit. This is where Greg Newsom, the second is going to fit. Um, but, you know, I'm sure the coaches liked having the guys on the field. You can start installing your system, right? This is the first time these guys can learn the system. Um, you teach them some technique, you know, and it's just, it's a way to see guys on the field. And like I said, I, w- I was not there. I watched video. I talked to people who were there. Greg Newsom, the second, looked the part. I heard James Hudson was huge, the old lineman that finished at Cincinnati, um, the tackle that they're going to try to cross-train at guard. And then JOK, you know, part of it might be the number, right? He's wearing 28. Um, and part of it's what we know, that he's a hybrid linebacker. And the Browns are going to use him as the will linebacker and play him in space as much as possible but he looks like a safety, right? I mean, he's a bigger safety, a little linebacker. Yeah. That's what stood out. I was looking at video and I looked at him and I'm like, he does not look like a linebacker. No. And you know, I think we, I mean, we knew that, right. We knew he was six one two fifteen. but I think when you see him on the field and especially the picture I'm looking at right now, no pads, um, he just looks smaller, right? He looks like he could belong in the DB room. And that leads me into talking to his, college coach who's now at Vanderbilt, um, Clark Leah. And he said, you know, we talk about the falls at 52, right? And did the report about the heart, which again, he and the Browns said is a non-issue. It's hundred percent. How much did that affect the fall to 52? How much was it that he's not a scheme fit, right? He's not really a three, four. He doesn't fit in a three, four is a linebacker. So you take those teams out of the equation. And then I'm trying to find this quote his point is that some teams might be scared away by the fact that he doesn't fit the, the typical mold, right? Um, here it is. If you're system driven, you might be kind of turned off or you might be confused as to how to use the things that make him unique. Um, it's exciting to some and probably discomforting to others. And I think that's a perfect summation of it's exciting for the Browns. They feel like they have the perfect system that he can slide into with Joe Woods, um, you know, in a will outside linebacker in Joe Woods system, you can kind of cross train at safety. You can do a bunch of different things you want. They want versatility. They want flexibility, but there's some coaches in some schemes that say, Hey, if he doesn't look like our linebackers have always looked, that scares us. And I'm not even saying one's right or one's wrong. I just know that I think the Browns have kept an open mind, especially at that position, and they value speed and versatility more than 20 more pounds of muscle where maybe you can take on a guard a little better. Now, it's not saying Awusu Kormoa can't take that on, and his coach that he can, and he's physical and he's tough. You just don't want him to do it snap after snap. He's best in space, and and that's how the Browns are going to use him. Let's talk more about Newsom and your thoughts on him after rookie minicamp. Yeah, I mean, to me, the question is, 
do you start penciling in him in as the starter opposite Denzel Ward? That's where I'm leaning. Now, Andrew Barry, right, the GM, is keeps saying it, and he reinforces it, that you have to have realistic expectations for your rookies. And I think as fans and maybe certain media, we don't, right? We, we see number 26 pick. We see he should be starting. But everybody has their own learning curve and how long they can adjust, how long it takes them to adjust, and how well you can play right away. Now, the Browns are optimistic for Greg Newsom the second, and he's optimistic and he's confident. He's a confident guy. But if Greedy Williams is healthy, and that's a big if, but the signs are pointing in the right direction, then that's a real competition, right? Because Greedy, I know he didn't play last year, but he started 12 games as a rookie in 2019. That's obviously more than Greg Newsom has played in the NFL. So I would give Newsom the edge, but I'm not ready to just say he's going to be the opening day starter. Now, I think the odds are better because of the uncertainty with Greedy's shoulder. Um, but I don't think it's automatic. And I think he's going to have to prove that he's ready. But like I said, when you talk to people that know him, when you listen to him talk, when you just watch his fluidity with which he can backpedal and turn his hips and run and close and make up, you know, if he gets beat on a double move, make up. Um, I like his upside better than Greedy's. And it's just a matter of, okay, week one, is he ready to go? Or does he need to be ready to go because Greedy's not? Um, but you know, having talked to people, having seen what I've seen at minicamp, you know, there's nothing not to like about Greg Newsom the second. So I don't think from a standpoint for fans, when you look at rookie minicamp, anything really stands out to the point of, you know, when the year starts, you could be like, oh, well, it all goes back to rookie minicamp. No. But if it could for the players. You know, you get injured, maybe you have something, you know, you ding something and it kind of sticks with you all summer and it holds you back. I always feel like there's at least one thing, though, from rookie minicamp that when you look, when you get to the season, you look back and you're like, yeah, you know, I kind of thought that might happen from what I saw at rookie minicamp. And I know you weren't there, yeah, but yeah. You, you, it's not like even being there, you got to, to see a ton anyway. Right. But what is there anything that, stands out from the weekend of rookie minicamp where when the season starts you're going to be like yeah you know I kind of thought that might happen yeah that's interesting you say that and I reflect back real quick I remember seeing Barkevius Mingo for the first time right and he was a number six pick in the draft um and he looked so skinny and you know he I mean he played the same position as JOK but it was a different scheme it was you know I think they want to play three out three four outside and rush and I just remember looking at him across the field house going, man, that guy, that guy doesn't look as big as he needs to be. And obviously Mingo kind of flamed out here. He's had a really, I mean, he's lasted a long time in the league. Um, never a big time player, but big time special teamer and has been able to play. Um, but it, it's interesting how those things kind of become imprinted on your mind. And I've talked to, I remember talking to Phil Savage one time and he said that a, they had rookie minicamp and a guy, and he wouldn't say who the player was, but as a player they drafted and drafted relatively high. And they saw him go through the bags and they said, oh my gosh, this guy cannot play in the league. So I think coaches are looking at, you know, looking at their guys like, okay, is this for real? The stuff we saw on film, does it translate? And I, I think it's safe to say for the Browns guys, 
it should, right? I don't think there's a guy that shows up and isn't physically able to handle life in the NFL. Now, Tony Fields, a second, the linebacker out of West Virginia, um, didn't practice with a foot injury that he'd heard hurt prior to minicamp. So, you know, really, I, I guess the, the two things that would stand out would be the fact that Fields didn't practice and you just wonder, you know, Kevin Stefanski said he'll be fine for training camp, but does he, does not being at rookie minicamp, maybe not being able to participate if there are OTAs or mandatory minicamp, how much does that affect, you know, a middle round rookie? And then Anthony Schwartz, the receiver, he dropped multiple passes. You know, there's different, you talk to different reporters that were out there, they had different numbers. Um, but this guy is a guy who is going to have to shed that track label, right? Cause he's an Olympic sprinter speed. Can he play receiver? And Gus, Gus Malzahn says he can and says he's only going to get better. And he spends all his time on football. That will help. And he's got the right mindset and he's tough enough. But part of that is, you know, you got to catch the ball, right? And you got to catch the ball at the NFL level. And, you know, I know it wasn't Baker throwing in the ball and they had a couple tryout guys. So maybe that explains some of it. But I, I think it'll be interesting because the Browns are counting on Schwartz to be able to use his speed and to open things up. Well, you can only do that if he's a threat catching the ball. And again, I don't want to blow, I don't want to make too much of, you know, two or three or four drops, whatever it was in rookie minicamp. But I think from a bigger picture perspective is how fast can Schwartz develop into the option that they want him to be, the speed option where Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt can use him in a variety of ways and take advantage of that speed. How quickly can he get up to that speed? Um, maybe mentally, maybe just as a receiver in general. And I think that that'll be something that bears watching when we get to training camp. Scott, I got two more things for you, but before I get to those two things, uh, anything else you want to say to wrap up rookie mini camp and uh, from the coaches and people that you have talked to and from this past weekend? No, you know what? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I'll touch on the Koromo one more time. Um, I posted that story to brownzone.com early in the week. Um, got some decent feedback. So if you haven't seen it yet, take a look at it. Um, I, I just think Brown's fans and are going to have to get used to his size. And maybe that's not an issue for some fans. Um, I know it is for some. I've talked to some guys that say, hey, when you take on the Ravens and they're two tight ends and three tight ends, you need linebackers that are physical enough. Um, but he's not going to get that much bigger, right? Even if he gains 10 pounds, it's still undersized linebacker. I think when we watch him, you just have to view him through a different lens because that's who he is. And remember that that's who the Browns wanted. Now that doesn't mean it's a great decision. It doesn't mean Joe Woods' scheme is the right scheme. It just means that they knew all of this when they drafted Awusu Koromoa. And I think as observers, we have to keep that in the back of our minds whenever we see him. All right. Two more things for you. I want to have a little fun here. I know a couple podcasts ago, I asked you about, you know, covering the Browns and uh, what it's like in the world of zoom now. And we got into some good stories. And for those that, you know, hang on to the whole podcast and they kind of get rewarded to <laughs> learn, to learn things that, you, you know, you don't really see because you're not behind the scenes and, and you are behind the scenes and, uh, I think it's, it'd be fun to share some stuff like this if you don't mind. Sure. And, you know, 
I don't think anyone's going to feel sorry for you that you cover the Browns because people would love to, you know, see a lot of the behind the scenes, but I don't think people realize how much work you put into it. And this is, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about some stuff that they're not going to normally read from you. And, you know, one of the questions I have is, is that, you know, I know this from being in the business as well. You know, you have to be ready at all times. And and the reason I'm bringing this up is because you scheduled a vacation because you didn't think there was going to be rookie minicamp, right? Right. You know, you can't go and change it. But the bottom line is, you know, you have to be ready at all times. It's a Friday at five o'clock and you think you're starting your weekend and the Browns put out the old dump story that ends up, you know, taking up your whole night, you know, and I don't think people realize that. So you talked about talking with other people. Do you, you know, how did beat writers get along with each other is basically what I want to ask you. You know, is, is yeah. there a rivalry amongst you guys? And I know the answer, but I, I want, sure. I want, if you don't mind sharing, do you guys all get along? And uh, what's that like? Is there a competition amongst you guys? Cause there's a lot of great beat writers, including yourself, obviously in this town. Yeah. I, I well, I get along with everybody, Dave. Um, <laughs> right. uh, um, that, that's, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, there's certainly, competition because you know you want to break stories um if you can you know it's it's really difficult to do that in today's nfl world when the national guys seem to get so many stories um whether it's through agents or teams are just connected especially when one of the national outlets is nfl network who you know, is under the same umbrella as the teams, right? I mean, the yeah. paychecks come from the same spots. So um, that makes it difficult, but there is that element to it. I think there's always the, you know, you look at and you read other people's stories and goes, well, I, I like my lead better. Um, you know, I, I like this part of my story better than theirs. Or, you know, if you get a rare interview that somebody else doesn't have, that always feels good. You know, that was easier in the locker room. Right? If you got a locker room scoop, um, it's hard. it was harder to do last year. Maybe we'll get in the locker room again this year would be nice, would be great. Um, so there's that element to it, you know, and then, but I also think that people have their own niches, right? There's some people that are more analysts. There's some people that are more breaking news. Um, I try to find a combination, right? I feel like I rewatch a game and I pick up some things that some people don't but I'm not one of those guys that breaks down the film all the time. So I think you try to find your place among this beat because there are so many beat writers. Um, There's so many media that cover the Browns on a daily or weekly basis. Uh, But I would say, you know, we haven't been in the room together for a year, but the room is pretty, um, pretty friendly. Most people get along. Um, I haven't, you know, I'm sure if I really, thought about it I could come up with some stories of people yelling at each other I mean that happens but uh, you know I mean I could just tell you three of my good friends are on this beat right Mary Kay um, everybody knows Mary Kay from Cleveland.com and Nate Ulrich from the Beacon Journal like we text each other all the time right we go out to dinner on the road when we travel Um, you know we know about each other's kids like we're real tight and then Tom Withers um, from AP um, you know, play softball with me. So, um, you know, I, I think there's, I, I think you're able to balance the competitive factor with the, we're all humans, we're all journalists, right? We're all fighting for the same cause. 
Um, we all kind of fight for as much access as possible. So uh, there is a balance, but um, I don't have too many complaints from my whatever it is, 17 years doing this. There you go, man. 17 years. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm too old, man. <laughs> oh, man. I'm getting old, too. My goodness. All right. Last thing. You said you had a good story about uh, Browns fans and their passion. Yeah. I'll, I'll make it quick. First, I w- so I'm in South Carolina, Isle of Palms. I go to the first tee, and the starter asks me, where are you from? Cleveland. He goes, three groups ago, I had a kid, from, guy from Cleveland, huge Browns fan. And I had, you know, <laughs> so, it's a, you know, I can't, like, I was there for eight hours or whatever, and I hear about Browns fans. I'm like, okay. Um, so that just, you know, it just struck me how you really can't go anywhere, right, without there being this Browns presence. But I, I think this is a funnier story. A buddy, a, a buddy's buddy during the draft was at the draft in Cleveland VIP and his, whoever he was with offered him the chance to announce one of the draft picks. You know, we saw fans get up there and announce the draft picks. I think it was a third round pick. And he's like, Oh my gosh, that'd be great. I could announce the Browns third round pick. And they're like, Oh, it's, it's not the Browns pick. It's the Steelers pick. Oh, and the guy refused to do it. And then, then they said, well, what if we, what if it was the Patriots pick? And he said, Nope, they're on that list too. So he, he refused to do it. And I, I interviewed him. And then at the end, I'm like, Hey, are you okay? If I like write this and he goes, well, you can't use my name. Well, I can't write it without using his name, but I'm like, it's perfect for the podcast. And it, it just reminds you of, you know, I mean, you think, okay, wouldn't you want to read a draft pick on national television from the Cleveland, the first time Cleveland hosts a draft? And the answer would be yes, but I'm telling you, there's got to be a big segment of Browns fans that would either have thought twice or just flat out said, no, I won't do that. And I just thought it was interesting. I thought it was funny. It reminded me one time my parents got me a, a yellow and black golf bag for Christmas and everywhere I went, people were giving me crap about it because they thought they were Steelers colors. And, and it just reminds you, um, you know, how, how deep people are into their Browns fandom. And with that comes, you know, the hate of the black and yellow. It is so true because it, it's more than just sport or hobby. For a lot of people, it's life. And that, that's, that's funny. And it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, in the Indians and the World Series with the Cubs, do you sell your tickets? Uh, if you, yeah. you know, would you rather have the money or the experience of going to a game? And, you know, that type of thing. I have a funny story for you real quick. So at Channel 3, they bought everyone on air uh, Olympic jackets. And we were supposed to wear them on the air. Guess what color they were? Gold. Ooh. Like gold, me- gold like medals. Gold yeah. medals. Gold medals. But they were gold and black. They looked like the Steelers. They were gold and black. And we got email after email, people complaining, why are you wearing Steelers colors on the air? (laughs) Isn't that hysterical? Like, I I guess maybe I'm too jaded because I've been in this too long and I try to, um, you know, stay neutral, right? And try not to be biased and I try not to be a fanboy. And I don't think I am because I've just been in it too long and covered – it's so much. It's about the stories and it's about covering it. I mean, I try to cater to the fans and I know the fans are 
Browns fans, obviously. But you, so you, I, I guess my point is I kind of lose sight of that sometimes, right? That if you said Pittsburgh, you know, I don't have a visceral reaction to Pittsburgh or black and yellow, but there's plenty of people you would run across that would, right? In your daily Northeast Ohio life. And I just think it's funny, you know, and it, it, it reminds me, I guess sometimes, you know, who I'm writing for and exactly how, you know, I, I keep saying passionate, but how passionate slash, um, I, you know, over the top or obsessed or whatever, um, plenty of Browns fans are. And I understand it, right? Absolutely. Go Brownies. <laughs> Cool. Um, I think we covered what we needed to cover, Chud. Um, maybe next week. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see if the Browns had any OTAs. I'm thinking they won't. Um, if they do, we'll go over that. And if not, I thought maybe break down the depth chart, right? There's been so much movement on defense, and, and I haven't gotten a chance to kind of break it down in a story yet. But that's something maybe we can talk about. And we did a little bit of corner, but just how do we see the Browns lining up? First down, second down, third down. Is it going to be three safeties? Who's here? Who's not? Who, you know, is Mac Wilson on the team? Um, just some of the things that have changed, you know, since free agency started in March. So um, thanks a bunch, Chud. We'll hopefully do this again next week. I appreciate the time. Thanks everybody for listening. And this has been the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast.